This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today we're taking another little detour, but really everything merges at the horizon anyway. We're looking at humanistic learning theory, which is the basis of all things I do as an educator. I would call myself a holistic or humanistic educator. Now, psychologists Carl Rogers and Abraham Maslow are generally thought to be the founders of modern humanistic learning theory. A theory is a way to explain a set of thoughts. Humanistic learning theory is not as easily defined as some learning theories, and there are differing views on what exactly humanistic learning theory is or might be, but they do share some common elements. All views on humanistic learning seem to share three overriding tenets. First, humans are, by their very nature, evolving, self-developing creatures. As such, we have a natural inclination to learn and to fully develop. Second, learning is enhanced when educational experiences align with these natural desires. And third, the goal of education should be to enable each person to develop his or her full potential. So let's take a look at humanistic education. Humanistic learning theory is the theory upon which humanistic education is based. So these terms will be, be used interchangeably in this podcast. So let's look at dehumanizing education. Humanistic education is in essence a reaction to an educational system that is seen as dehumanizing. These dehumanizing elements include the following. <clears throat> First, students are often asked to be passive learners or to learn in ways that are not natural for them. As well, the things given to them to learn are often meaningless or have no connections to their lives and experiences. That is dehumanizing. <clears throat> Second, manipulation is often used to get students to learn and to behave in acceptable ways. Instead of building on their natural inclination, students are manipulated by external rewards and punishments to quote, learn, unquote, school-related things and to be compliant. What is rarely considered are the reasons why students may not want to learn or why their behaviors may not, may be negative or disruptive. Third dehumanizing element, <clears throat> one-dimensionality is perpetuated. Only the cognitive dimension of students' humanity is recognized. Ignored in classrooms and curriculum <clears throat> are the many aspects that make us human. Our creativity, imagination, curiosity, social natures, and our emotional dimensions. The fourth dehumanizing element. Humans and human learning are too often described only in terms of numbers. Experiences traits, endeavors, and achievement that cannot be quantified are thought not to exist or to be of little value. This quantification of the educational experience is often used to compare students to a mythical norm. 
Such quantification creates winners and losers as students find themselves above or below a mythical average. The fifth dehumanizing element, only traditional knowledge and ways of knowing and being in the world are seen to be of worth. Views that do not align with traditional perspectives are seen to be of a lesser importance. Norms and values that do not reflect the dominant culture are diminished or ignored. And the only history that tells the story of the advantage group, only the history that tells the story of the advantage group, is seen as worth being repeated. Now, humanistic education views learning in terms of personal growth and the development of each person's full potential. Growth and development occur here not just on the intellectual level, but also on the emotional, psychological, creative, social, and physical level. Within this context, five goals are facilitated. One, facilitate the development of fully functioning, self-actualized human beings who have the capacity to nurture themselves, others, and their environment. Two, instill a joy of learning and a desire to be lifelong learners. Three, promote the discovery of each student's passions, special talents, and abilities. Four, teach the knowledge and skills necessary for students to be good decision makers and effective problem solvers. And five, enable students to be responsible world citizens who are able to contribute to democratic uh, uh, institutions. So one misconception about humanistic education, it does not dismiss or diminish academic learning. Indeed, when correctly implemented, humanistic education complements and enhances academic learning, intellectual growth, and the development of academic skills. This occurs by making personal connections with the curriculum to students' lives and experiences to the greatest extent possible. Students learn more and learn more deeply this way. In other words, academic learning enables students to develop the knowledge and skills necessary to thrive in the world as well as providing a context for personal growth. <clears throat> so let us define humanistic learning theory and some supporting principles. So defining this thing, humanistic learning theory recognizes that humans have a natural tendency to evolve, to grow, to learn, and to develop fully. Carl Rogers described this as an instinctive inner core that moves people toward reaching their full potential. Abraham Maslow used the term self-actualization to describe humans' innate natural progression toward their highest state. Learning is enhanced when educational experiences align with these natural desires. <clears throat> Humanistic learning theory explains learning as movement towards self-actualization that occurs as a result of instruction or experience. Such learning occurs in furtherance of students' predisposition and ability toward becoming good decision makers, effective problem solvers, and responsible world citizens who contribute to democratic societies. 
So, five supporting principles of humanistic learning theory. <clears throat> Number one, students' learning should be as self-directed as possible. In other words, students should be given choices about what they learn, how they learn, and how they demonstrate their learning to the greatest degree possible. Now, choice here does not mean total choice all the time. Instead, it means as much choice as appropriate for the situation. Choice here exists on a continuum. For example, no choice. We're studying the Civil War this month. This is the book we're going to read. This is the topic you'll be doing reports on. That's no choice. The second one, choice within a set. Boys and girls, I put out five books for you. You can choose the one you wish to read. <clears throat> the third one, choice within a category. We're studying the Civil War this month. You can read any book or investigate any topic related to the Civil War. And the fourth one, the fourth one is total choice. Find a topic that interests and inspires you for your research project. These are the criteria. This is the due date. Find a book that you love for our reading class. All right. Some situations require more choice, some less choice. The goal would be to provide the minimum amount of control necessary to create a positive learning environment. The second supporting principle. The subject matter to be learned should be relevant to the lives or personal interests of students. It should be connected to the students' lives or interests whenever possible and to the greatest extent possible. For example, when learning number facts in the primary grades, students would be asked to use them to figure out problems in real-life situations. Humanistic educators find creative ways for mandated subject matter to reflect or connect with students' lives. At the same time, space is provided within a curriculum for students to explore topics of interest to them. For example, knowing what is of interest to adolescents, humanistic educators would seek to incorporate themes related to social experiences, relationships, and defining roles and values into the traditional subject area. Three, the full spectrum of the human experience should be included in the educational experience. Emotions, relationships, creativity, imagination, and real-life problems are all part of the human experience. Including them in the educational experience enhances learning as well as the development of humans. Humanistic educators create the conditions where human beings can learn to use all these human dimensions to solve problems, make decisions, and come to know the world. As well, traditional curriculums are studied in multidimensional contexts. For example, art, drama, music, poetry, creative writing, and the other arts are used as tools along with traditional methods and inquiry to explore and respond to information and ideas. The fourth one, schools should produce students who want to learn and know how to learn. Humanistic educators build on students' natural desire to learn by asking them to learn about things that are relevant to their lives and by helping them to make connections. 
Curriculums are designed around students' natural ways of learning and includes things about which students want to learn. As well, students are taught how to learn. That is, how to get the necessary information they need, how to critically analyze and evaluate that information, and how to use and apply that information. And the fifth one, students learn best in non-threatening environments. Threat comes in the form of physical threats, but also social threats, emotional threats, or things that endanger one's self-esteem or phenomenological self. These types of threats occur when schools focus more on measuring learning than they do on enhancing learning. This has been a short segue into humanistic learning theory.